It is well with our soul. There was a time in my life I didn't know a soul existed. I had no idea that I was more than just a physical body, that there was an actual soul within me. And I remember when I came to Christ, how that soul came alive. And though the body breaks down, the joints hurt, the muscles hurt, <laughs> the crepitude sets in. And sometimes it sets in too fast. We can always cry out, it is well with us. Praise God. I'm going to finish today's series I've been doing on... Uh, Well, today's sexual purity, talking about Christianity, Christ, uh, the culture, sex, and uh, we've been looking into this. We started in the book of Ephesians. I ended up in the book of Proverbs. I will be speaking out of Proverbs chapter 7 today on sexual purity. Uh, I didn't put the title up there, but the title is The Man That Lacks Sense, or The Woman That Lacks Sense, or The Person That Lacks Sexual Sense, And we're going to see a cautionary tale today. It's a beautiful proverb. It's uh, the whole chapter 7. And it gives us a cautionary tale of a man, a human being, that lacks this moral compass, this lacks this moral sense. It's a cautionary tale. We're going to see the whole thing unravel before us. We're going to see the demise of a person. We're going to see someone who is young and youthful waste their life. Right before us. The scriptures are insightful into sexual deviance and, 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 and the corrupting influence it has on the soul and the corrupting influence it has on the mind and how it, it's, it's seductive and it, and it creeps in and the world can make it sound like you're missing something. You're going to miss something if you're not filling your life with sexual experiences one after the other after the other that's the kind of culture we live in and I've been sharing on this that the culture we live in has no sexual boundaries at all there are no moral restraints anymore at one time there was some kind of moral restraint there was some kind of conscience in society but today it is totally gone it's obliviated it doesn't exist a matter of fact the opposite is in its place now go for the gusto do whatever you want to do Anytime, any place, with anybody, express the true self. And I've been sharing about this. Sex is genuinely worshipped in the society we live in. And we'll listen, we're, we're sexual beings. Sex has its right place. It's not, it's not evil. Whatever God created is created good. And for the Christian, for the human being, it's very good. But unfortunately, it's out of place. Because if God's not in the equation, then that's when sex becomes a lust. It becomes a passion. It becomes a craving that needs to be satisfied. And as we've been speaking about, it's never satisfied. It goes from worse, it goes from bad to worse. I'm not going to go through another introduction. I've shared on this several times already. But to be successful in life, you need a game plan. You need to be successful and staying... uh, Virtuous and, and enjoying virtue and enjoying absence, enjoying your relationship with God, understanding where sex falls into the relationship, the marital relationship. You need to be successful. You need to have a game plan. You don't just stumble upon purity. We're going to see in the scriptures today how the Old Testament saints did it, the New Testament saints did it. You know, it, it, it needs 
to be exemplified. It needs to be taught. You don't stumble upon self-control. You just don't. Either parents and churches are going to teach it to our children or the culture is. There's no way of getting around it. We have to roll up our sleeves and we have to look at this intelligently, biblically, but we need to be courageous when it comes to confronting this, personally in our own life and then the people that we love. Tonight we're going to pull back the veil and look on society around us through, through a woman in chapter 7, the adulterous woman, the, the, the foreign woman. It's a personification of illicit sex. That's all it is. That's the way wisdom literature reads in the Old Testament. It's a personification of illicit, illicit sex. We'll see many characteristics that define her, also define the culture we live in. So as we're speaking about, as Proverbs is speaking about this woman, I will interject with application on how it fits the culture we live in, how the culture speaks to us. I'll give some observation and some applications. Before we go into the text, though, let me remind you that there's some great differences between the Old Testament and the New Testament believer. The Old Testament have the power of truth alone. Just to know truth. What does the truth do? It sets us free. Power is knowledge. There's no question about it. But there are certain things in the world we live in. We need more than just head knowledge. We need God on the inside. And that's what we have as New Testament believers. Paul talks about the gift of the Holy Spirit as the power of self-control is one of the gifts of being close with Jesus. The closer I am to Christ, the greater the self-control I have. That's how the gift of the Holy Spirit works. It's not just one day you get zapped with self-control, another day you get zapped with love, and one other sermon I get zapped with kindness. It's the closer I am to Jesus, the closer you are to Jesus in your personal life of faith, the more in control of yourself you are. That's what it is. The fruit of the Spirit comes from a close relationship with Christ. Proverbs was meant to help young men and women acquire the mental skills they needed to live a moral, upright life. Again, Proverbs was given so the young men and women can acquire the mental skills needed to live the moral and upright life. It was meant to develop character. One scholar says that this is what the definition of the fear of the Lord is. It means God is supreme in one's life. Everything that's in that life, all the details of life are ordered by this relationship with God. He's involved in all the details of life. When God is involved in the details of our life, you know what we could say? Well, hallelujah, Terry says, but, but that's the fear of the Lord. When God's in every detail, especially, how does a young man or a young woman keep their way pure in this world? By every word of God. That's Proverbs 119. Before I go into it, let's, let's go to our text first. Let's read Proverbs 7. And as we're reading, we're going to put it up on the head. There we are. Starting in verse 1. Remember, this is a cautionary tale. Read it as such. Watch how it develops. Watch this young man's demise. 
Watch how he's seduced and drawn away into a trap that eventually crushes him. I'll read it slowly. Keep that in mind. Cautionary tale. My son, keep my words and treasure up my commandments with you. Keep my commandments and live. Keep my teaching as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablets of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister. And call insight your intimate friend. To keep you from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words. For at the window of my house I have looked out through my latex, and I have seen among the simple, and I perceived among the youths, a young man lacking sense. Passing along the street near her corner, taking the road to her house, in the twilight, in the evening, at the time of night and darkness, and behold, the woman meets him, dressed as a prostitute, wildly of heart. She is loud and wayward, her feet do not stay home. Now in the street, now in the market, and in every corner she lies in wait. She sizes him and kisses him, and with bold face she says to him, I had to offer sacrifices, and today I have paid my vows. So now I have come out to meet you, to seek you eagerly. I have found you. I have spread my couch with coverings, colored linens from Egyptian linen. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us fill our love till the morning. Let us delight ourselves with love. For my husband is not home. He has gone on a long journey. He has took a bag of money with him. At full moon, he will come back home. With much seductive speech, she persuades him with a smooth talk. She compels him. All at once, he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter, or a stag is caught fast, till an arrow pierces his liver. As a bird rushes into a snare, he does not know that it will cost him his life. And now, O sons, listen to me, and be attentive to my words of my mouth. Let not your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths. For many a victim has she laid low, and all her slain are the mighty throng. Her house is the way to Shoal, going down to the chambers of death. Let's pray. Father, keep us away from this moral wilderness, this, this decadent culture we live in, Father God. Let us be attentive to your words, Father God. Let us be close to Jesus. He's the only hiding place. He's the only true safe place. He's the only high tower that we can run into morally and spiritually and find safety for our souls, Father God. He's the only way we can keep pure in this unpure world, Father God. He's the only way we can stay strong, Father God. Keep us close to your Son, Father God, that we do not go down to the way of death. In Jesus' precious name, amen. I think if you follow this Along as we were speaking about it, it's a cautionary tale. You can't help but to see just the brilliance of, the, uh, of, of how, how the, the proverb is structured. It's, it's magnificent. You can see the person just being led astray, being seduced, following and being called, following the call, and, and, and eventually just being killed. 
verses 1 and 5 are a parental appeal to sexual scrutiny. It's a parental appeal for sexual scrutiny. Verses 6 to 13 give an example through a narration. That's what we were seeing. We were seeing the narration of a young man who's lacking sense in sexual matters. It's a narration of his folly to follow and his sure destruction of what's clearly documented. And verse 24 to 27 is a final appeal through objective evidence of lives that have been ruined. The picture is someone who is a wise man, a wise woman, a wise mother, a wise grandfather, who is looking at the window upon a street corner, watching a crowd of young and innocent. And they don't know what's around them in the world. And from this window, they're observing what's taking place. On one side of the street, they see the seduction, they see the wildness, they, they see the danger. And on the other street, they see the simple, a crowd of simple. They, they lack understanding. And they see the whole thing just transpiring right before the rise. Someone is perched up on a high top and, and, and that's, that's, that's what we're watching, this narrative of someone watching the whole thing unfold before. I can see my life in there. I see, I was the simple man. This is not them. This is us. Many of us were the simple person. We lacked any kind of true self-control, any kind of true understanding, any kind of value of what sex is supposed to mean. We lack that. And when we do, there's a void of understanding and we follow and don't even know it. In dealing in this subject matter, as parents, as pastors, as friends, grandmothers, grandfathers, we got to be very sensitive to this. This is not scolding someone. This is not lecturing someone. This is walking with someone and guiding someone through this path. Because this is the world we live in. Let me read verses 1 to 5. My son, keep my words and treasure up my commandments with you. Keep my commandments and live. Keep my teaching as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you're my sister. And call insight your intimate friend. Why? To keep you from the forbidden womb. To keep you from the devious culture. To keep you from the moral wilderness. To keep you pure from the adulteress with the smooth words. As in the chapters before and the, the, the sermons before, what we have here, we have a parent's genuine concern for the sexual future of the child. This is not a novel idea. This is not a novel idea. Where should a child learn chastity? Where should a child learn virtue? Where should a child learn what's sacred? You can't ship a child off to church for a half hour on a Sunday and get all their teaching. These Proverbs, and I've taught on this many times, you would think it's for the child, right? It's the parent that needs to hear this. 
It's the guardian that needs to hear this. It's the grandparent that needs this. It's the uncle. It's the friend that needs to hear this so we can arm ourselves with how to teach others. It is our job to speak to the wayward. It's our job to speak to the simple. It's our job to speak to people that lack a common sense and an understanding of the sacredness of sex. It's our job. It's these parents' job to have a genuine concern for the sexual future of their child. As I said a couple of weeks ago, many lives are ruined because of the sexual activity before marriage that many had. They don't realize how dangerous it is. And I've shared this before and I'll say it again. You'll never hear anybody saying, I'm just so happy that I had multiple sexual relations with other women. It just made my, my marriage great. But we're just so happy. You're not going to hear that. No one's talking about all the collateral damage that's done. No one, speak to the counselors. Speak to the pastors. Find out how bad it really is. They were concerned for the sexual welfare of the child that they would enjoy a fulfilling marriage. A fulfilling marriage. And the parent's leverage is not a threat. Don't do this or don't do that. It is a God-found truth. That's where the leverage is. The leverage doesn't come from a pastor or a parent saying, don't do this, don't do that, don't do this. That just gets people angry and rebellious. Tell them this is what God has for us. God has something deeper for us. God has something so much more meaningful for us. That's the leverage. That gets under their conscience. That gets under their skin. That gets the young thinking that there's a better way. There's a holy way. There's a pure way. There's an actual way to have sex and praise God and to thank God. You're not going to hear that in the culture today. The Father's commandments, interestingly, are actually found in Deuteronomy chapter 6. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command to you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And you shall talk to your children. When you sit down in the house and when you rise by the way, you shall talk to your children about these commandments. This was not cold legislation by the Father. Don't do this. This is God's words living in the parent. As the parent is walking through the way of life with a child. And discussing life with the child. These aren't the rules and regulations of the house. This is coming from a genuine, godly mother and father, modeling it, teaching it, so the child doesn't go out into the culture and stumble upon it. You don't stumble upon sexual good in the culture we live in. I gave the statistic several weeks ago of what sexual deviance does. And how it hurts. I'm not going to go through all the figures again. Godly sexual living is taught. This wasn't just advice. He says write it on their heart and on their fingers. Why? 
Why does God want us to know these commandments so much? That he gives these metaphors of writing the word. Write this truth about sexuality on your heart. Write it on your fingers so you see all the time. What's the metaphor for? It's simple. This is life and death, child. It's life and death. Make sure you don't forget these commandments. Treasure this kind of insight in your heart. Because when you go out, you're going to need it. It's life and death. I've shared this example before. As I was preparing this, I thought of several friends that I have. They're all have nice homes. One lives by this big lake. One lives by the ocean. Another one has this big pool in the backyard. And they all have two and three children, ages from 6 to 12 years old. And there's a commonality they all have. Every child knows how to swim. If you're going to live by the ocean and you've got three small children, you better teach them how, how to swim. You've got a pool in the backyard, you've got three small children, guess what? You better teach them how to, if you're going to enjoy it, you better teach them how to, because if you don't, what can be enjoyed could end up killing you. That's what sex is. If you don't teach them what sex is about, it could destroy you. And all these, these parents took it upon themselves to make sure these children knew how to swim. Mommy, what's this thing in the backyard that's 20 foot deep? Oh, that's water. Enjoy it. Go ahead. Have fun. Let me give you a, a real dark illustration that I had to live once. In Texas, friend's house, had a child, the child was less than two years old. And while we were all engaging and talking, guess who wasn't keeping an eye on the child? Guess who got outside the door? And guess who ran into the pool? And no one saw until we looked in and we sort of floated. It's fine. Everything's okay. But that's the illustration we get here in our text. Write these things on your heart. Put them on your fingers. Don't never forget how sacred this is. If we keep it cheap and we don't understand that sex is part of a fulfilling heterosexual, monogamous, lifelong relationship in the eyes of God, it will hurt. It will hurt. Teach our children how to swim. Teach them what sex and the beauty in the eyes of God is. He says, say the wisdom, you are my sister. Understanding, you are my intimate friend. These are the metaphors for the relationship of all believers to have with biblical wisdom. We're to cherish the word of God. God's wisdom is not some kind of abstract concept, but it's highly practical for preparing children and ourselves for the real world. Say to your child, put the little floaty on. And I'll teach you how to swim. Put the floaty on. You know those little floaties? They're adorable. 
the little thing on. And they go out there and they go like this. They can't go down because they got the floaties on. Like the training wheels on a bike. That's what God does for us. He trains us. This is what the Word of God is. It's practical for preparing us for this real world with its real problems. In this case, sexual ones. Wisdom deals with pleasing God in all the details of our life. It's we, we ought to be skilled in godly living. That's what it means to be a mature Christian. Skilled in godly living. Parents need to point out the threats around us. My job as a minister of the gospel, as a pastor, I am to engage closely, and I do, with what's taking place in the culture. So I can bring forth the dangers that are out there. A parent should be engaged and understand the dangers that surround the child. Here, the danger is the forbidden woman. It's personified as a forbidden woman. But understand something. This is illicit sexual behavior. That's the culture we live in. Do I have to go over the entertainment? Do I have to go over media? Do I have to go over music? Do we have to go over everything you watch, everything you see, everything they sell on commercials has sexual overtones? I mean, it, it's all there. Uh, sexual windows and, and double entendres, all these things. With, it, it's to stir up the mind. It's to stir up the imagination. We're going to see that's the woman in Proverbs chapter 7. This is not a relationship. It's not a lecture. The parent that's speaking to this child is speaking to him from a deep loving concern. And that's how we have to speak to each other as a pastor, as a parent. That's the way we have to do it. Verses 16 to 23. It starts the narration of someone who doesn't hide God's wisdom in their heart. That's the young man who's lacking sense. He has not made God supreme. Known here is simply the young man that's lacking sense. He says here, as I said, for I looked out from my window and I have looked and I have seen among the simple and I have perceived among the youths a young man. Amongst the crowd is a single person who's lacking sense. And the reason they know he's lacking sense is because he saw what happens. And when you see what happens, you can say that's a person that's lacking sense. And it's simple over here because in the Old Testament, especially in in the book of Proverbs and the Psalms, there are four words used to describe foolish people, I'll say. It's, It's the scoffer. It's the fool. It's the naive, and it's the simple. In the scriptures, the fool and the scoffer has no antidote. You never see the fool or the scoffer in scripture becoming wise. They're beyond hearing anything. They refuse to have any help at all. But the simple is a little different. The simple is a person that just hasn't been taught properly. This person still has hope. This person just needs instruction, loving instruction to keep them from the way. This person is just lacking sense. Verse 8 says this. 
Passing along the street, let's go through the narrative now and watch how it unfolds, okay? Passing along the street, near her corner, the young man who lacks sense takes the road to her house. So we see here something. From foolish time with foolish friends who all lack sense, now it's taking them to foolish places. This young man is starting to show that he lacks sense. Foolish places, foolish friends lead you in a direction. And that's what verse 8 says. Passing along the street near her corner, taking the road to her house. From foolish time and foolish friends to foolish places, this young man is starting to show that he genuinely lacks sense. Where we spend our time, this is application, is important. Where we spend it and who we spend our time with is extremely important. This man who lacks sense hung out with others who... And when fools hang around with fools, they become foolish. But the man who hangs out with wise men, Proverbs says, he will become wise. There are places where sexual sin is more rampant and where believers will be more tempted. Isn't that true? I share this when I first got saved. When I first got saved, I was, I was working out in the city and there was this uh, newspaper stand. I don't even know if they have them anymore. And, and it had the filthy section. You know the filthy section. Well, I walked by the filthy section five days a week when I was in Manhattan. The filthy section always got my attention. I could not walk by there. When I got to the filthy section, I actually started walking slower. I want a real, a real eye for it. But when I got saved, I couldn't walk by the filthy section anymore. Because I still wanted to. But I know it's wrong. And the temptation was pulling me. I was a man who lacked sense. But all of a sudden, I got God in my life now. So he simply said, Brian, cross the street. There was the long way around. So instead of just getting up and going past, the stool was there. I got up, I went all the way around. Because God was giving me wisdom. You know God's wisdom will take you out of the way sometimes. But it keeps you away from danger. There's no fast way. There's no fast track when you want to be pure before God. You got to make the hard choice. Verse 9. In the twilight, in the evening, at the time of night and darkness. You see, we see under the cover of darkness and secrecy, this young man finds a sense of false security. What he doesn't know is sin will find him out. Under this false security that no one's going to know. It's dark. No one can see. I'm in Manhattan. No one knows me here. I'm traveling, I'm, I'm away from my wife, and nobody knows, nobody knows me. I'm in Arizona. I'll preach, and I'll go to the hotel. Nobody knows me. Under the secrecy of false deception, that no one's going to find out. That's the way sin rationalizes. We think we're going to get away, and you will, for a week, or a month, or a decade. But sooner or later, it comes crashing in. It's a house of cards. 
You can't, one lie after the other, after the other, after the other. So in the twilight, in the evening, when no one can see, and I'm hiding myself, nobody will find out, even God can't see me. That's the conscience. He goes on in verse 10. And behold, the woman meets him, dressed as a prostitute, wily of heart. Is this a chance encounter of a sexual kind out of nowhere? Oh, it's so innocent. I'm just walking down the block and a naked woman threw herself at me. No, this is a young man. This young man is where all men should not be. This is a place where a young woman should not be. Foolish friends plus foolish time plus foolish places all done in secrecy with no accountability eventually equals trouble. The trajectory is clear. This is the culture we live in. The, the trajectory, you can see it. Foolish friends, everybody's doing it. Foolish time, foolish places. It's dark, it's night, no one knows me. Pass is not here. Even God can't see me, I think. It equals trouble. Do you know no accountability in this society is the worst thing you can have? You should have someone on speed dial, help! I'm being seduced. Help! I want to go out and do something. Help! Speed dial! Be accountable. That's how Christians do it. It goes on. She's dressed like a prostitute, verse 10 says. Needs an immodesty. Well, I should say, modesty used to be a virtue. It's gone. Think about this world. Modesty used to be a virtue. Guys are walking around with their pants down to their ankles. They can't even walk. They can't even cross the street. They're running across the street like this. The bus comes. The pants are coming down. Women? I mean, it's, it's out of control. There's no modesty whatsoever. If you are not walking close to Jesus today, you will if the past is not walking close to Jesus, the past is going to fail. You cannot possibly live in this culture and make it. The whole culture is dressed like a prostitute, wildly of all. Never underestimate the power of a seducing culture and its sensual style. If we don't guard our heart sooner or later, we will have to fight another type of fight. We need to be on our guard at all times. It's in our face. You know, every once in a while you can get away with it maybe if you're strong, but over prolonged periods of time, we just got, uh, what do we get? We got Fios. I used to like time. Well, we got Fios. And they got those nasty channels on there. So we got to do something about this. I don't want those things in the house. I don't even like... Like the thought of clicking, like you see a nasty thing. It's like, I don't want that. I don't even want to think about it. I don't even want it in my house. It's in your face. And this kind of trajectory, please understand something. 
foolish places, foolish time, no accountability and secrecy, all this kind of stuff. It quarantines you, it keeps you outside, you think you're safe, or it can take on many years. But if, sooner or later, it takes out many, many good men and women. He goes here in verse 11, he says, She is loud and wayward. Her feet do not stay at home. Just like our culture, this woman is boisterous and rebellious and does not care. The culture we live in is boisterous, it's rebellious, and it does not care. There are no more social conservative norms anymore. And I've shared this before, speaking to parents, and they're like, yeah, but what am I going to do? That's the, that's the thing. What am I going to do? What do you mean, what are you going to do? You get up and you pray with your child. You get up and you teach your child God. You get up and you teach your child virtue. Just don't say, what am I going to do? Like, well, that's just the way it is. It ain't the way it is. It doesn't have to be. Do not do that to your children. Do not just say, that's the way it is. Don't just give up. The culture we live in is loud. The culture we live in is wayward. And the culture we live in is boisterous. It's a rebellious, sexual culture we live in. Nothing is sacred. It is blatant. It is in-your-face arrogance. We live in a culture that does not care about any consequences whatsoever. Fearless sexual desire with no concern about the future. It goes on in verse 12. Now in the street, now in the market, at every corner, she lies in wait. It's an ambush. The culture we live in is, is an ambush. Minefield waiting to go off. Our cultures like this woman has broadened its restricted areas. It's not in the dark places no more. It's in the street. It's in the market. It's everywhere. On every corner. You know, years ago, back in the 50s, 60s, you know, there was a time to get, you had to go to a certain quarters of the neighborhood or, or the city. Back in the 70s when I was younger, it was, it was 10th Avenue, 12th Avenue, between 33rd Street and 47th Street. Unfortunately, I know. And you, that was the dark corner. That was it. You were, if you were down there, you were there for one reason. But now, you go anywhere. People, I watch them, I call them down, me and my wife walking down 10th Avenue, and they're walking out of these peep shows, and they're walking out of these pornography places, and they're coming out like it's nothing. Walk right out, no shame. Just walk out. Hey, how you doing? Yeah, everything's fine. Just spent $100 in here and everything's going fine. There's just no shame. Shameless. It's a shameless culture we live in. Now his father, the father's telling his son, son, you have to be on your guard everywhere, in every place, at every time. Verse 17, she sizes him. She kisses him. And with a bold face she says to him, so we see here, you know, bold means to show oneself strong. This is flexing the muscle. This is defiance. She grabs him. That's what the culture we live in. That's a society where it's like it sexually grabs you and it demands that you pay attention to me. 
You look at me. Everything is permissible. There are no taboos. This is sexual aggression. Do you see the sexual aggression of what we live around? Please understand, we have to put the full armor of God on at all times. There's no regard for sexual reputations over here. Doesn't care. Doesn't care what people think. We see, that I've shared this from the politicians to the sex scandals in the White House and the church and in sports. You know, it's yesterday's news. You know, a week later, nobody knows. There's another scandal going on and people just go about their life. How in the world can Anthony Weiner run for office? Like nothing happened. There he is. Everything's hanging out on Twitter. And this guy's just like, he's nothing. His wife doesn't care. Nobody cares. But that's, that's the culture we live in. They don't care. How dare we as Christians do not teach our children and our parishioners how to swim? How dare we to come up here and not teach the congregation how to... How can we go to a church week in and week out for two, three, five years and not hear sermons against the sexual revolution, the aggressive sexual revolution we're under. It's an attack. And you hear a sermon every once in a while, personally, for me, not good enough. I've got no problem teaching for five, six weeks on this. I've got no problem at all. You know why? Everywhere you go in the scriptures, there it is. There it is. You can't get out of the first six chapters of Genesis and sexual deviance is running rampant so much that God has to send a flood. Six chapters. It gets worse. Listen to this. Verse 14. She said, I had to offer my sacrifices. Today I have paid my vows. Like this woman, our culture disguises its hidden agenda behind religious pretense. This is religious words. I've paid my vows. I've offered my sacrifice. I believe in Jesus. I'm born again. It's okay. This stuff creeps right into the church. Do you know something? The book of Proverbs, 31 chapters. Chapter 2 starts to speak about this foreign woman. The notorious woman or the adulterous woman. Chapter 2. Five verses. Chapter 5, the whole chapter's on her. Chapter 6, half of the chapter's on her. Chapter 7, the whole chapter is on her. This is the first time she speaks. Three and a half chapters. The first words that come out of this woman's life. Listen. I had offered my sacrifices. And I've paid my vows. The first words that come out are religious words. It's okay. 
it hides behind religion. It hides behind this, I believe in God. I'm spiritual. I'm religious. Sort of like, that qualifies everything. Now it's okay. I believe in God, so we, we can just live happily ever after. This stuff has crept into the church so bad. Sexual sin is rampant within the church. Rampant. And there's only one way to deal with it. You gotta preach the word of God. It's not for elders and pastors to run around trying to put out fires. Throw cold water on each other. No, 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 no. You do the same thing this mother or father is doing. My son, cherish the words as the apple of your eye. Write them on your heart. The only way to keep a young man pure is by the word of God. If the word of God doesn't keep you and I pure, it nothing ever will. Nothing can keep you pure in the world we live in except the word of God. The truth of the word of God. That's it. That's what's taking place. It's the dirtiest of all tricks. It's a shameless culture that makes its way into the church. You know, pastors don't address it because if they preach the sermon like this, trust me, a congregation of a thousand would not last. They know what happens. They do the math. A thousand people. Many young. Many give them a lot of money. Start preaching against sexual sin. Attendance goes down. Giving goes down. I'm out of a job. And that happens. It's a tell- this is ominous to what takes place. You cannot preach a faithful gospel of Jesus Christ without, not without confronting the sexual sin of the culture. You can't do it. It gets worse. So now she says, I've come out to meet you to seek you eagerly. I'm searching for you, she's saying. I have found you. Like, flattery is the next nail in the coffin. She's flattering him. As pride goes before the fall, flattery, flirtation precedes adultery and many fornications. We got to be careful. We live in a seductive culture, flirtatious, flirting is out. It's never innocent. Please, men, women, it's not innocent. Flirting, it's not innocent. Sooner or later leads to something bad. Understand something about uh, flirting, it's a slow enemy. With a quick death. It builds up. I'm going to stop. Because I can go on and on and on. You want me to go on a little more? You sure? Got 10 more minutes in here? Listen to verse 16 18. I have spread my couch with coverings, colored linens from Egypt. I have perfumed my bed 
with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us make our fill of love till the morning. Let us delight each other in love. Now that his ego is stroked, she comes in with the full force of seduction. She now arouses his senses to the prospect of sexual pleasure. Isn't this the media? Isn't this the culture we live in? Everything has to do with the promise of sexual reward. What is it? This is a cheap sell. You want to sell something? Have a naked woman on there. Have tall, dark, and handsome on there. Just get, get it out there. Make it look like there's sex involved. Sex sells. Here is a picture of it. Think of it. Media, the culture we live in, the promise of sexual reward. Now listen to this. I have spread my couch with coverings, colored linens from Egypt. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh and aloes and cinnamon. Come, let us fill love till the morning. Let us delight ourselves with love. The prospect of sexual fulfillment is just overwhelming for this young man. He can't take it. He's going down. You can see it. She says this, but my husband is not home. He's gone for a long journey. He took a bag of money with him. At full moon, he'll come back. The thought that he's never going to get caught is just too much to bear. This young man who lacks sense, who wandered into the night, his ego is stroke. He's intoxicated with the promise of sexual pleasure. He can't bear it any longer. It's just too much. And he caves in. That's the whole trajectory, you can see. And that's how it happens. We should stop right now in this sermon, right here, right now, and ask yourself where on the road, if you are in this trajectory, are you still just hanging around the foolish and the simple? Are you moving out of the foolish and simple and you're going into the night, no accountability, nobody knows what's going on in your life? Are you flirting? Where on the road to destruction are you? You can stop it right now. Where in there are you? Because Christ can rescue you right now. I don't want this just to be a biblical sermon. I don't want this to say that was good. I want you to stop from falling into the trap. I want to see your life stay pure. Think about where right now you could be on that. Oh, I, I just flirt a lot. You're on the road. Everybody I hang out with has sexual. You're on the road. What do you want? You're on the road. Pastor, I'm that person. There's a Savior here for you today. And He loves you. And He's got something so much better for you. Freedom from this. Let me close. Actually, let me close with this. Before I preach a sermon, me and John say this often, I have to apply this to myself. I'm not beyond this. I came out of that lifestyle. And I think about who wrote this. You know who wrote this? Solomon. You know Solomon was considered one of the wisest men in the world? Guess who's the worst failure in the Old Testament? Solomon. 
he broke his own rules. The wisest man, he penned this. But he couldn't live it. As a pastor, that tells me he doesn't care how good you can preach, how good you can teach, how good you can sing, how well you know the scriptures. It makes no difference. We're all vulnerable. Me included. This is a cautionary tale that I said, oh my goodness, Solomon wrote this. And he was the worst offender. Let's be careful. There's too much pain involved. There's too much pain involved. It doesn't just go away. But there's something more important too. And we share this. Christ restores spiritual virginity. Christ can make you feel like it never happened. Christ can take away the past and never haunt you. When Christ comes into our life, he throws away the past as far as the east is from the west. It'll never haunt you again. You'll never have regret. It'll be gone and all you will have is praise and thanksgiving to Jesus for washing away the stain of our sins. If you want that, just say, Lord, come into my life. I want that, Lord. I want the new beginning. I want the new start. Take away the past. I want to be a new man. I want to be a new woman. I want hope. I want to be self-controlled. I want to enjoy you above all things. Let's pray. Father, we can go on and on and on. You're so good to us, Father God. I just pray, first and foremost, for my own heart, Lord. That when we study Solomon's life, it's a true cautionary tale of what not to do but God help us in our life we do live in a moral wilderness we do live in a a decadent society that has no taboos anymore on it Father God there is no sexual restraint whatsoever help us in our own personal lives Father God let us live pure Father God keep our eyes pure while we watch Keep our relationships holy. Don't let us get caught up in ungodly things, Father. Search our hearts, Father God. Encourage us, I ask in Jesus' name.